Good morning. For those of you who are guests this morning, we're glad you're here. And uh, it, it is always, as a preacher, it's always a little strange when we have first-time guests and we're preaching on the topic of generosity. So we don't do this often because this church is very generous and uh, very supportive of the missions, the ministries, the vision, all of that, that that surrounds this church from within this church, from without of this church. So it's a great giving congregation. So I don't want to, I don't want anyone, there's no guilt involved here, but this Organic Disciples um, series that we're in, uh, there's a reason that, that you write a book about organic discipleship, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we, yeah, we talk about the truth of the word of God. We talk about community. We talk about all the things that are involved with being a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. But you cannot talk about that, being a fully devoted follower of Christ. You cannot talk about it without, without addressing that Jesus talked about money more than he talked about love. And I'm, not, and I'm not joking there. And it's also that God is a giving God. So uh, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And we, the passage we're going to start with today is from Philippians 2. It's something that you're all very familiar with. But if we look at it, if we remember the, ver- the verse right before this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, and boom. So God gave all, and his followers should give all. And that's time, that's attitude, that's resource, that's treating your relationships like, they're, like they belong to God. So being generous in behavior and with your resources, all of it. But sometimes, especially in an economy like we have right now, I'm going to pray in a moment. I want to get this, the kind of preliminaries out of the way before we ask God to speak through his scriptures. In an economy like we have right now, we've, we, this goes up and down. We've, those of us old enough, I'm 56, 56, I always forget, because <laughs> there comes a time when you're like, who cares, right? I'm 56 years old, so I've seen, I've seen the economy up and down. I was in college when the, the stock market fell apart in the 80s. Um, but and, and I, I remember Jimmy Carter and inflation, and I, we're at a 40-year high, and I get it. Uh, I, I understand. I, I, look at, <laughs> I look at my what you would call a 401K. We call a 403B because I work for a nonprofit. Um, it doesn't look good. And I'm hoping to retire someday and not eat cat food. And I look at it, and I tell myself not to look at it very often because I don't want to be owned by what I own. And every time I look at it, it looks worse and worse and worse. So with inflation where it is, with the stock market where it is, with, with the economy where it is, it's easy. It's easy for every one of us to slip into what's called a scarcity mentality. So before we pray, I'm going to give you, I'm just going to give you an illustration. I just found it yesterday, and I, I really thought it to be pretty good. Um, this is from uh, Eunice Pike. Great name, Eunice. Um, she spent over 40 years with the Mazatec Indians in, in southwestern Mexico. During this time, she discovered something quite interesting. She discovered that in every culture she had been in before, people, when they meet you, they would say something like, God bless you or, or, or wish you well. You know, even in, 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 uh, in, in most of Mexico, if you speak Spanish, it's, it's you know, you, you, you greet each other with a buenas something. 
good, good, good morning, good afternoon. Not this culture. They didn't say, they never wished you well. They didn't say good anything. And if you ask the village baker, who taught you to bake? I just know. That's a little curious. So she started, the more time she spent, the more she started finding out what the mythology of the culture, and I don't mean myths like the ancient Roman gods. I mean, the, the, a mythology of a culture is something everybody believes whether they can articulate it or not. It's the underlying belief system. Think of like if you've heard the term worldview. So these people have a worldview that is considered, it's called limited good. So for instance, if they learn something from someone else, they took good from someone else, and that good is never to be given back. If you, if you say to someone, I wish you well, some of your happiness has been given to another, and you're never to have it reinstated. If you have two children, you have to love, if you love the second one, you have to love the first one less. So they have this idea that you're born with a certain amount of well-being, goodness, joy, whatever it might be. And as you go through your life, that pile, that bank account, that, that, that whatever you call it, diminishes, and it cannot be refunded. When we start seeing economic news like we see right now, it's easy to slip into the idea of, I got to hang on, I got to hang on, because I don't know what's coming. Here's the interesting thing. We've never known what's coming, right? We all, I mean, when, during 2020 with all the internet profits that were out there and, and I was in, I mean, I was watching them. I was, I was pretty enthused by it. Some of them were pretty exciting. Some of them like, wow. Um, but, but every one of them had this idea that God has shown me what's happening next. And some of them had some pieces that were correct. Some of them had nothing correct, but that is our desire. We all want to always want to know what's Next, we want to control the future, and we can't, but we know the one who does. And so in every part of our life, trust in the one who knows the future is of utmost importance. And the place that I tend to want to, to nah, I'm going to trust him, but not as much as normal, is in this area. So we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. it's a matter of the heart, and it's a matter of being like the one we claim to worship. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, your demeanor on this topic more than any other day, because we know that you say you want us to give joyously. You want us to trust you and not stuff. So Lord, I ask that you Uncloud our eyes, unclog our ears, and soften our hearts so that we see clearly what you want us to see, we hear clearly what you want us to hear, and we, and we, and we respond clearly the way you want us to respond. And Lord, if there's something I have planned to say, or if there's a sarcastic remark I want to make that you don't want made, I don't want to say it. I just want you to speak to your family of which I'm a part and teach us something, something we've already known or something completely new. We pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. So there are people now that are saying that, that it's because of modern economic theory 
Others say it's because of the, the previous administration. Others blame the current administration. I have no idea. Didn't study economics. But I do know this. Everyone's wound up. And it seems to me like it's a great time for the church to show the world who we trust. And here's who we trust. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held onto, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. There's an old Young Life, you guys, many of you know that I have Young Life background. I came to Christ through, Young Life is a non-denominational Christian uh, evangelistic association uh, who just present the gospel to disinterested high school kids. I was as disinterested as they come, but I was interested in the cute girls that went to this thing. And the gospel got through anyway. And um, one of the ways that, that, that they would tell that story about Jesus and the incarnation that God emptied himself is like, he, they would, a friend of mine <laughs> told a story about his dog. I don't remember what, what the dog's name was, but, but that his dog kept running out into the road um, and it was going to get hit by a car, lived on a, on a, on a busy road. Um, and so he tried everything, lure it with, with treats, uh, you know, lure it with his favorite toy, whatever it might, to get it out of the street. Um, but finally he realized that the only way he's going to be able to communicate to this dog is to do it in dog language and to be a dog. So he went into the, to the bathroom, he spun around in circles like Superman does in the, in the phone booth, and he came out as a Labrador retriever and went over and talked to his dog. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But that's exactly what God did. He became something less than self. He became a creature. The creator became a creature. And not only a creature, he didn't come with, and think about it, in the first century Middle East, if he would have come and the announcement of the birth would have been not some, some wise men, some stargazers from the, from, the, from the East, but had been F-18 super hornets. I don't even know if that's a real plane. Um, but if it, <laughs> Wow, okay, we got it. He's something we're not. That would have been seen as magic. And God, this is a a God man to be worshiped, but that's not how he came. He came to meet with the lowly. He came to teach creatures how to know their creator. And the, the birth announcement in the gospel according to John was God so loved the world he gave. God's a giving God. Jesus, he wasn't ordered to go. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we talked about that last week, that they are co-equal, that, that they mutually submit to one another. When, when the plan before creation, the plan was he knew what was going to happen because God's the one who knows the future. He knew what was going to happen. And of the three persons of the Trinity, I'm certain that Jesus said, when the time comes, send me. I don't know how that works, but he didn't come because he had to. He came because he wanted to be extravagant in his giving, his love, and empty himself so that we, as his people, can say that is our calling. He gave like the Father gave. Jesus knew the human needs, and he met them joyfully. And he still does. Even the point of going to the need that sin separates us from God and sends us to perdition, he's like, that's not going to work for me. 
So he became sin for us and died a criminal's death to take the sting out of death for all of us. And he called us to lives of generosity in all areas of our lives. And that is a glorious thing because it goes against everything that humanity stands for. It goes against, we've heard me say this a dozen, well, dozens, if not hundreds of times. We are not called by God to do what comes natural to us. We are called by God to do what comes natural to God. And God is generous. And God calls us to lives of generosity. Even, even little, little things he says when he's, when he's standing around talking to people, he one of the things he says in Matthew 6, this is in the, the Sermon on the Mount. Just this nice little pericope is what it's called in Scripture. This, this couple of verses. And notice the assumption in here. <clears throat> so when you give to the needy, so the assumption is you give to the needy. He goes, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. And sometimes we're like, all right, we're supposed to be anonymous, and that's good. Don't let the right hand know what the don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing, or from your perspective, the right hand and the left hand. We get that, but I think there's more there. So <clears throat> let me ask you this question. I'm gonna use this because you're gonna get sick of me doing grandpa things. I, I guarantee it, because I just love her so much. But when you love your grandkids, do you want everyone to see it? Do you need anyone to notice? You love your grandchild because they're your grandchild. You love because it comes natural to you. It, 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 it's something that I ju you just do. You don't, need any, any, you, you don't need any accolades for it. You don't love your grandchild in public so that people go, wow, how great of a lover are you? That's what Jesus is getting at here. People that give to the needy and want everyone to know it, it's because it doesn't come natural to them. They're doing it to get credit. But if, it's, if we're people, if we're children of God, and we follow the master, and the master is a generous, generous master, and we become like him, we don't need accolades for our generosity, because it's just who we are. Here's another example of it in Luke chapter 19, excuse me. Another story you're very familiar with. These are all stories that the Harneys kind of put, kind of put in, their, in their outline. And I, I, I'm not deviating much from it. Um, and I'm grateful that someone else has done a lot of this work. Uh, but familiar, Jesus is going into Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was, a ta he was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. And we know, you've heard tax collectors, there was a certain amount of money that was expected from a particular region that they were in charge of, and anything above that that they collected was theirs. So it was very tempting to defraud people for your own enrichment, and apparently he had done a pretty good job at that. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't, he couldn't so, uh, because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree, sycamore fig tree, to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached this, the spot, he looked up and said to, to, to him, Zacchaeus, come down. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up, which I just think is funny because he already said he's short. So I don't know how he does that. And so the whole crowd sees him, but he stood up. 
and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And look at what Jesus' response is. Today, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. And there's way more there. And I'm not saying that, that because Zacchaeus, if you go give money, you don't have to follow Jesus. If you give half your possessions to the poor, you're saved. It's not it. Zacchaeus was owned by what he owned. And when he had an encounter with Jesus, he realized that he does not belong to himself, but body and soul and life and in spirit to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. God says a lot of things about money, a lot of things about stuff. In Luke chapter 12, 13 through 21, he says, beware of hoarding. And I think there's more there. That's the rich, the, 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 the rich man who said, I, I, I have these barns and I don't have, I have too much wheat to go in the barns. And so, but it says he consulted with himself and decided that he will build bigger barns. And so he gets a lot of grief for being greedy. Fair. But I think the interesting thing there is he consulted with himself instead of consulting with God. God, how would you what would you have me do? He's storing up treasure here. That's the teaching in that, that you fool. It's the very day your life will be demanded of you. Store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. Jesus talks about, he, he asks us to figure out who our master is. Who do we serve? And folks, we're gonna, Bob Dylan said it. It might be the devil. It might be the Lord. But everyone's going to serve somebody. And you're going to serve somebody. You're going to serve something. I told you about a, a, a little over a year ago when I was in all that pain with polymyalgia rheumatica that I made, I made pain an idol. I was so obsessed with it. It ruled my life. And God just gently spoke and said, it's just pain, Trent. You've been dealing with pain since you were 17. You're suffering because you can't, you can't see it for what it is. It's just this. And it began to change. So we, we, we do this with, with, with who, who owns us? What owns us? Are we owned by what we own? Or are we owned by the creator of the universe? And that's a voluntary decision. It's an act of your will. He says you cannot serve both God and money. And none of us go, I'm serving money. But we might unintentionally drift that way, especially when the economics are the way they are right now. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 Asks about our heart. And that's what preachers always want to say. It tells you where your heart is. Absolutely correct. But you know what else generosity can do? It can change your heart. So there's an old thing that I say to, to couples in premarital counseling. This sounds negative, but it's not. I can more quickly act my way into feeling differently than I can feel my way into acting differently. So if I'm in a relationship with Lynn and I don't feel love for her right now, never happens. But if I'm being selfish and, and, <clears throat> and I don't feel love for her, I need to act as if I did. Because my vows weren't, I will always feel this. Oh. My vows were, I will love you and honor you and share with you all that is to come for better, for worse, for richer, for poor and sickness and health through laughter and tears. I will be faithful to you as long as our lives shall last. 
So if I don't feel love toward her, I need to act as if I did, and the feelings will return. So I can more quickly act my way into feeling differently than I can feel my way into acting differently. Our marriage will be a roller coaster if I'm always dependent on my emotion. Because my emotions are not 100% trustworthy. That means I can't trust them ever. They're indicators. But what scripture says and who God is, that tells me what's really true. Same thing is true with generosity. Yes, if you're a follower of Jesus and you have a softened heart, you will be a generous person. But if you're greedy, that's my tendency. My dad went bankrupt when I was 16 years old. And I heard the creditors calling my mom all the time. And it was really difficult to, to after that, I never wanted creditor calls. I've, I've been late on one payment our entire married life, and it was because there was a payment that I didn't remember. And it, it still haunts me. I mean, I paid $4 in late fees. Kills me. I've never paid, I've never paid interest on a credit card. And when I have a, if I have a car loan, it, it, it's always paid off within a year. I can't stand it. Um, it, it, it just, it, but it can own me. What about you? If I choose to be generous, it will make me generous. If I wait to feel generous, to be generous, I never will be. See, it is a matter of the heart. It tells you the condition of your heart. But you can change the condition of your heart by choosing to do what Jesus says, whether you feel it or not. I had a friend, Merle, he's still my friend, Merlin Buell. We were in our 20s, and this is, we were sitting down, and he was trying to start a new ministry. It was a really good one, um, but he was talking to me about it, and he goes, you know, I, I just don't understand. We go to all my friends, we're asking them to donate to this, and, and like, what, when are they going to realize that $20,000 in the bank is enough? I had two. I'm like, $20,000? But I asked him, why does he think that way? And he said, you know, someone challenged me, and he didn't, someone challenged him, and then he didn't do it. He just told me the story, challenged me. Um, But he said, someone challenged me to up my giving to whatever ministry I'm doing by 1% a month until I noticed. And he got to 22% gross before he felt it. And he had six, six kids living, 22% gross. And I just felt like, man, I'm, I'm struggling to give $100 a month. So I started doing it. And you know what? I went from greedy to reasonably generous. I look for opportunities in restaurants to bless a family. If I got paid for a wedding a couple of weeks ago. And I'm, I'm not, this isn't bragging. This is just what, what behavior that's faithful to Christ can change a heart. Someone, I, I don't charge for weddings. People, you know, what do you, what do you, like, I don't feel right charging someone for God's blessing. Plus, you pay me well. So they, the day before the wedding, they asked, what do I charge? And I said, I, I don't. I mean, I'm not going to be insulted if there's an envelope that comes my way, that kind of thing. But I was expecting like $30, $40. It was right here at church. I didn't have to travel for it. I love the couple. I had a great time with them in premarital counseling. They put $300 in an envelope. I don't need $300. They do. So Lynn and I went to dinner. You see anyone we want to bless? And there's a family of six. We walked over and I said, is this all one family? She goes, yep. I said, well, we want to pay for most of your meal. 
six, four kids. They have no idea who I am. I don't want them to know who I am. I hope they're not watching right now so then they discover who I am. But behaving, trusting God with my finances has changed who I am. And it will do the same for you. So here's some steps you can take if you decide to take one next step in in, in, in generosity with the Lord. Give to God first. It's known as first fruits in the church. Give to God first. And you will, God, it's God's promise. You will always have the money to do what you need. But if you wait to give to God, there will never be enough left to give. Pay attention to little whispers. Ask God when you go somewhere, Lord, who might I bless? And I don't know, it doesn't have to be financial, but who might I bless? When I show up here, give me eyes to see someone that you would bless if you walked in the door. Think eternally and not just temporally, not just today. Because we don't know the future, but we know the one who does. Check your heart. Ask yourself, what do I really love? Where do I invest my time, my material resources? Can Just make sure you're not falling in love with stuff. Enjoy the good gifts that God has given you. Contentment is not the realization of what you have. It's not the actualization of what you want. It's the realization of what you have. And some of us have much more than others sitting right in this room. But not one of us doesn't have what we need for today. So we can say, Lord, thank you for the good gifts that you've shared. Thank you how you've entrusted these things to me. And I will do my best to steward them according to your word. And nurture contentment. The easiest way to be miserable is to be ungrateful. It works every time. There it is. So I hope you see that my eyebrows are up. I hope the tone is light. This is not a, and and folks, just full disclosure, what you give here pays my salary. So I always have a vested interest and I can't avoid that. It's just true. And I can tell you that right now, Jim is starting to get a little, we're going into the lowest giving part of the year. And uh, Jim's like, okay, hmm, God's always faithful. So let's test Jim. Don't give any, no. Sometime later, God tested James. So just some questions for a heart check. So if you're not, if you're not introspective, if you're not someone who's trying to hold every thought captive, or if if you're not someone who's always looking for his or her own motives, Here's some ways that to, to maybe, Lord, show me something about myself, even if I don't want to see it. And God is always gentle. It's, it, 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 it's, got a, it, it's got a raw side to it, but it's always because he loves you. So seven questions. If you're a note taker, here they come. They're not long ones. How can my joyful generosity help our local church serve more powerfully and be a greater witness to Jesus and his love and grace? The, the church planting that we're doing in Hungary and in Europe, the church planting that we're doing in India, Jamaica, Dominican Republic, Juarez, Mexico, Guatemala, Africa. It's amazing. All those people are supported by what you give here. And man, if anyone, what churches do first when things get tight, they stop giving to the missionaries. We give monthly. We don't wait till the end of the year. 
Think of all the things that Mobile Food Pantry was just the other day. We have a whole new ministry of 18 to 25-year-olds that led by the 18 to 25-year-olds. And there were 30 people at the kickoff. Churches that don't have young adults die in 40 years. We praise God for that. Question number, question number two, how, how does joyful generosity reveal the love and the presence of Jesus? Because it does. It is part of the attribute of God. It, it, it is innate. It's part of God. It, you cannot take away generosity from God. He is always generous. And his people, if we're generous, we communicate God's giving nature. Question three, <laughs> what message does a selfish or greedy Christian send to the world? That we're no different than the world. Question number four. Who rules my life, really? Here's the one that's touchy. It's not meant to be manipulative. It was in the writing of the book, and I used it last week. I'm not trying to disclaim it. I'm just telling you, when I read it, I'm like, all the years I've been preaching on giving, this question has never occurred to me, and I love it. But if it stings, it's telling you something's wrong. What if everyone in my church gave to my church the way I do? Would it be flourishing? Or would it be dying? Or somewhere in between? If everyone in my church gave to my church the way I give to my church, what condition would my church be in? And then finally, question seven. Or excuse me. I, I deleted one that I thought was irrelevant. So there's only six. Hey, see, you get off easy. <clears throat> what is my next step in a joyful and generous life? If the Lord pokes your heart, ask him, Lord, what do you want from me next? Could look like something like this. Maybe your next step is to begin giving to some kind of financial gift toward the work of Jesus through his church or through another ministry. It could be giving away something that really has control of your life. Last year, I met at Red Robin in Grand Rapids with a guy <clears throat> who just sold his boat, and he only had it for a year, and he lost money on it, but he sold it because it had become such a big deal to him. He loved it too much. I hope the Lord doesn't convict me of that. I like my boat. Perhaps the Lord is stirring your heart to begin sponsoring a child who's in need and supporting a local Christian nonprofit. Maybe the Spirit is stirring your heart to increase your giving and stretch your faith of trust and provision from God. And then finally, maybe, maybe you're, you're giving, but your attitude is not joyful. Maybe it's time to say, Lord, I freely give as you have freely given to me, and I count it as joy that I that you've shared with me resources that are so abundant that I have the capability of giving and there is no one in this room that doesn't have enough abundance to give to the Lord's ministry wherever you choose to do that let's pray Lord thank you for talking about the thing that none of us ever really want to talk about Thank you for challenging us to look at our lives 
to find out who really rules us. Lord, we want to know what tomorrow brings. And you tell us, don't worry about tomorrow. It's got enough worries of its own. Today. Lord, what kind of person would you have me be today? Generous or selfish? Giving or hoarding? Following you in all areas of my life or trying to get you to give me just what I want? Lord, help us do what comes natural to you instead of what comes natural to us. We pray this in Jesus' name, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen.